I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the New Statesman podcast that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week, we're talking about the Reese Witherspoon rom-com Home Again and the Netflix film Our Souls at Night. We've also listened to the Dissect podcast's Kanye West season for the first time, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. So you are still emailing us about our problematic faves live episode from a few weeks ago. We've had a great one from Devon who says, My problematic fave seems to be only a problem for other people. I love and support Winona Ryder in everything. She is my favourite fave. (laughs) When I talk about her to other people and tell them how much I love her, many people, but especially men, bring up her 2004 shoplifting drama. I 100% don't care that she had a pill problem that caused her to spiral out and steal some purses over a decade ago. In the grand scheme of things, shoplifting, while obviously illegal, is not the worst thing someone could do. Also, she got zero sympathy for her addiction issues from the media. From what I remember about that time, Winona admitted that she had a problem and made amends for her crimes like a mature adult. However, her career suffered for many years and she still struggles to be taken seriously despite being a relatively quiet and critically acclaimed celebrity. Oh, I so agree on that. What a hard agree from me. A hundred percent don't care. I know. As we talked about in the episode, on the scale of problematic things that a fave can do, you know, having problems with addiction and taking it out in the form of shoplifting is really on the minor end of the scale, right? Yeah, the stuff that doesn't even touch the sides when it comes to men with this kind of thing. Can you imagine if some like rebellious cigarette smoking, cool looking guy stole something? People would just be like, yeah. And then he smashed up his hotel room. Rock and roll, man. Mm. And Winona Ryder does it. And it's like she's hurt somebody or something, which is just not what happened. It's a good point as well about her career, because I feel like until Stranger Things last year. Yeah. You know, all the press around that was like, oh, Winona Ryder the renaissance of Winona Ryder, blah, blah, blah. Isn't she great in this playing a, you know, quiet mom character rather than the rebellious characters of her youth and all that stuff? Totally. She had like a moment, didn't she, when she was in Black Swan? Mm. But the role she was playing in Black Swan was like former, young, critically acclaimed person struggling to cope with the fact that she's old and no longer like the darling. It's funny to me that Winona Ryder was cast in that role because she's still such a great actress and still so beautiful and but the media narrative around her is that yeah she had her like time in the 90s and and that was it even when she was kind of getting a really big role 
in whenever Black Swan came out, like 2010, I don't even know. It was still kind of weirdly a bit of an insult <laughs> and a bit of a comment on how she's viewed. Yeah, well, Series 2 of Stranger Things is coming very soon, though. And if it's as solidly good as the last one, I feel like hopefully that whole narrative will finally die and Winona Ryder will be able to just accept some good roles in good films and get on with her career. We've also had an email from Dylan on the same subject who says, Thanks for a wonderful live show on problematic faves. It's literally so sad that this is even a thing and that it seems like more and more faves are revealing themselves to be too problematic for words. Johnny Depp, I'm looking at you, but also David Bowie, Jim Carrey, Caitlyn Jenner, the list goes on. Still lots to discuss from the problematic faves episode, so I'm glad that that struck a chord with people. Yeah, and if you still want to share your problematic fave with us or talk about what we've already mentioned, get in touch, seriouslypod at gmail.com. We've also had lots of great emails about Wind River, which was the film that we discussed last week. Erica got in touch to talk about it. She said she's from Lander, the town outside the Wind River Native American Reservation, which is where the film is set. So she has a lot to say on the film. She says she comes from a place from privilege in in talking about the film because she's a middle class white person who grew up in Lander. Um, but she says that she was deeply disappointed with the narrative arc because the film used a white woman to justify in some way or perhaps make the audience sympathise with police violence against communities of colour in the US which is a point that I think stands, but one that I probably wouldn't have made myself viewing this film. So she says, Taken in the current moment of police brutality in this country, as well as the long-standing systemic violence enacted on American indigenous communities in the US, that whole plot point made my stomach turn. Not to mention the narrative is centred on her experience and glosses over issues of substance abuse and intergenerational trauma within reservation communities. So yeah, that's a really nice email. Thank you so much, Erica. She goes on and there's a lot to talk about with that film. So thank Thanks for getting in touch. We also had an email from Mimi who touches on some of the same issues, but she says she was struck by the criticisms of Wind River because she's seen uh, some of the director's other films. So she says, having watched both Sicario and Hell or High Water, both films that I knew were good but had some intense problems with in hindsight, I get the sense that Sheridan is obsessed with the concept of, quote, the wilderness. In Sicario, the setting of the rural Arizona-Mexico border... And in Hell or High Water, bleak post-financial crisis, small town Texas. And then she says, It does lead to a lot of gravelly voiced men telling women slash outsiders that, in Jeff Bridges' voice, you'll never know this land, this land, this land of wolves, long silence, drinks beer, to the extent where I found it very tedious. We get it, dude. The world is bleak. The good suffer, the wicked prosper, and men brutalise women. (laughs) So it's kind of a flippant but very funny email from Mimi. Uh, and I, I haven't seen the director's other movies, so I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, I so agree. But that that was there was definitely a bit of that in this film, wasn't there, Caroline? There totally was. And I think I said in our initial review that I enjoyed some of the cinematography of Icy Mountains, while yeah. at the same time finding the fact that they basically got more screen time than the Native American people in the film mm. <laughs> a bit weird. Um, mm-hmm. I similarly have not seen either of those two films that she mentions but I did read some reviews of them and there were some approving reviews from do you know what I mean when I say like film critic man Mm -hmm. uh, talking about exactly this saying about you know the presentation of the wilderness is really fascinating and what does it say about masculinity and all this stuff and I was just like yawn not interested yeah I mean that is the whole premise of this film in the beginning is very much like 
FBI white woman is clueless and wintry wildernessy white man is like super informed about it and it's like mm. you don't understand what these tracks mean like that's exactly what it is yeah exactly something else Mimi says in her email that we would maybe like to throw open to listeners because I'm not sure that I'm very qualified on this is she says I realized that what I really want are more westerns made by or about women do you have mm. any recommendations I know there was the Natalie Portman Jane got a gun a few years ago but nothing else is springing to mind or proving easy to find via Google and I have to say I spent a like five minutes doing the same searches and didn't turn up much either so if any listeners know of women-centered westerns essentially or westerns directed by women that have a more interesting perspective say than wind river do get in touch uh, on twitter or via email and tell us so that we can pass that on to mimi because yeah i think that's an interesting gendered notion of genre there totally really interesting please do get in touch one more thing from Mimi. Uh, she says, on a completely separate note, Anna, I was at the Lord Ali Pali gig last night and I just wanted to say how you were so right about that extreme emotional roller coaster. This is in reference to a tweet I did where I was like, the Lord gigs are wild because you're like one minute dancing like crazy and the next minute you have to confront your own death and just sit there like, oh yeah, I'm gonna die. <laughs> and she said, uh, I've never cried at a gig before, but I just held myself during liability and wept and then jumped so much during green light and that my makeup was 100% sweated off by the end. And then she ends her email with, but I guess that's melodrama with like a million exclamation marks, which is, yes, I feel that's so hard, Mimi. I was at the same gig this week and it was amazing. I love Lord so much. I saw her four years ago at Shepherd's Bush, which was a much smaller venue. And I just, man, her music... It's just incredible because I've been listening to melodrama so much and I haven't listened to Pure Heroine in a while. Mm. And hearing her do all these songs from melodrama as well as like a bunch from Pure Heroine just made me really realize what amazing scope she has as a songwriter and how, man how many amazing songs she's written and how great she is at performing them and how layered they are and how like... You know, the extent you could do a great um, dissect podcast on a Lord album, um, which mm. is something we'll be talking about later in the show. So, yeah, that was amazing. Everyone should go and see Lord if you still have a chance to. I think she's pretty much done all her UK dates now, but find a way to see her. Go to Europe or something. She's so good. So <laughs> I'm so excited about this. The first thing we're going to talk about this week is Home Again, a rom-com written and directed by Hallie Myers Shire. The daughter of Nancy Myers, the woman behind such classics of the genre as Something's Gotta Give, The Holiday, and It's Complicated. It stars Reese Witherspoon as Alice Kinney, a 40-year-old recently separated mother of two who's just moved back to her now-dead but still famous film director father's L.A. home. Out for a birthday drink with friends, Alice meets three young men who are aspiring filmmakers, and they end up temporarily moving in with her and her daughters. I'm Alice. Hey, Alice. 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 Mom. Alice, please stop avoiding me. Alice, look at me for a second. Alice is newly separated. Loser. She's so intense. No, I'm not. You have and I've got this thing about you, and it's super impressive. You seem to be handling everything really well. Alice doesn't know what she wants. Brutal. You gotta check yourself. Everything's gonna be okay. When were you going to tell me that three strangers were living in your house? I just always act out on my birthday. It's like my own personal New Year's Eve, so I just go like, what? And I just reel it back to normal. Did you watch these? I did. 
But um, only because I was doing a load and I've been up since 5.30. You know I'm 40, right? Uh, yeah, I know that. Like, ballpark. I am not in love with her, okay? I just love a lot of things about her, like her face and her personality. Maybe it's fate that they met you. So it's quite a Nancy Myers premise, I think, of like lots of different people all kind of in one house and, you know, unlikely connections are formed therein. That's a sort of similar to something's got to give on the holiday, really. And it's complicated. All those movies. <laughs> but yeah, I, I saw this in America a few weeks ago. You saw it this week, I think, Caroline? Yes, I saw it on Friday, the day it came out. <laughs> I'm so keen. Yes. <laughs> Love it. We're rom-com starved at this time in culture, right? So much so. I was just thinking that as I went into the cinema, like when was the last time I went to see a rom-com in the cinema? And I honestly couldn't remember. Mm. I'm sure we did one on Seriously Not More Than a year ago but it's not something that it's not like the early noughties when you could get at least a few reliably really good rom-coms out every year but yeah so this this is a nancy myers movie through and through right it is written and directed by her daughter so it's not technically a nancy myers movie in the same way as some of the other ones we mentioned but nancy myers does have a producer credit on it and just generally tonally and in style it feels very similar to her other movies right so much so i mean everything from the characterization of alice down to the interior decoration of many of the sets you know in fact Mm -hmm. alice alice's ambition is to become an interior designer so that is made very explicit in the film that yes deliberately all of these interiors are very beautiful and very unobtainably expensive and there's nothing you can do about that this is a Myers film is what I felt like that said. (laughs) I do want to touch on her career Nancy Myers has done like these movies that are quite about career women but she also does quite often create these women characters who like have really like lucrative jobs or just seem to have a very lucrative lifestyle and like you barely ever see them do any work yeah that is totally Reese Witherspoon's character in this she's like basically unemployed she's like a freelance interior designer who has one client who fires her really quickly (laughs) but it's like no worries doesn't matter I've got like an amazing house and like I'm clearly totally financially able to support my children and like it's just barely even acknowledged that she's got absolutely no current income which Mm -hmm. i just love that's the hallmark of an anti myers movie for me it's just so ridiculous yes exactly it's also i don't know there are there are some things about it that i think if if it wasn't a myers film and therefore didn't have this incredible warmth and just kind of radiant love in it i would be slightly side-eyeing like for instance there is a bit of like girls do this, boys do that in it. Yeah. And a bit of slightly odd gender stuff relating to the three young men who come and live with them versus her ex-husband who's played by Michael Sheen. There's Mm. a lot of like, there's that amazing scene where they kind of wrestle in the gravel Mm. over who's the bigger man and therefore gets to, you know, be with Alice, (laughs) which is a bit reductive, but also very funny. Yeah, it is really funny. I think if we're talking about, I know we're going straight in with criticisms, but if we're talking about moments that give us side eye, there's like a weird racist line in the first five minutes, Mm. (laughs) which I was just like what is this where the three men when we meet them these three young aspiring filmmakers they're getting kicked out of their hotel room i want to say because they like haven't paid 
and the guy who's firing them is indian american he like has quite a strong accent the, the very fact that someone has like an indian accent does not make it like a comedy indian accent but there's just something of that in this mm. moment and then yeah. he you know says you can't pay your rent you're fired and then the guy is like oh indians don't like me i don't know it was just a really weird moment especially because it went nowhere there was no point to it and i was just a bit like what is this random line but then after that moment had happened there wasn't anything else in the film that i would really criticize i mean there's lots of as you say kind of like slightly bizarre gender stereotyping but i don't really mind that because it feels kind of like true to the characters if not true to life and obviously you could quite easily criticize this movie for just being overwhelmingly white and like there is that. just exploring a very like elite slice of society but then i feel like you know that when you go into a nancy myers movie that that is the very specific slice of life she explores right mm, absolutely and also i feel like we're nitpicking around the edges because in the main this film is a delight right yeah totally I loved just the kind of like sexiness of it. I loved yes. the kind of cheesy blushing tension between Reese Witherspoon and this exceptionally hot young actor, <laughs> like ridiculously hot. I loved that. And, you know, it's just so fun to watch a movie that is just about a woman who's like got an insane crush going and like she feels that she's too old to have an insane crush going but she's not and i i don't know i just loved that is yeah and and the relationship between the three men and their relationship with her is like very very loving like not one person has anything bad to say about alice in this movie they all just love her so much mm. <laughs> and i love seeing a movie where the like lead woman is like in her mid 40s and she's like sexy desirable maternal She's just this whole massive range of like super positive qualities. And who wouldn't want to be Reese Witherspoon in this movie, right? Yeah, yeah, she and she's she's gorgeous as well. Apart from the character of Alice, the other thing that I really, really loved was the relationship between George and Isabel. George being the writer of the three aspiring filmmakers and Isabel being Alice's sort of tween daughter. I think she's meant to be maybe 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. Isabel aspires to be a writer. She... But she has, you know, confidence issues, especially having moved from New York to L.A. and started a new school and stuff. And she and George just form this really adorable, like, older brother, younger sister friendship where they talk about their writing and he encourages her to go for stuff. And she really relies on him for confidence. And yeah, I really liked that storyline. I thought it was lovely. Yeah, it's so sweet. Just as well, I think one of the things I love about these kinds of movies is that they don't have a villain. Mm. Like, Michael Sheen is is the kind of like as much as there can be a bad guy in this movie he is he's kind of the antagonist figure he's the one who obviously has a prior claim to reese witherspoon's heart but doesn't seem to have been an excellent husband so you're not really rooting for them to get back together but even when he's like even as the antagonist he's still like not a bad person you still get to see him as like a whole human who's like also quite charming and yes has made mistakes but is like not irredeemable and I really like that. <laughs> One interesting thing I wanted to bring up about this film is I was reading about it and initially Rose Byrne was attached to play the lead Reese Witherspoon character and oh, then I think last year maybe uh, Reese Witherspoon was swapped in instead and I was wondering what you thought how different it would be if it wasn't Reese Witherspoon. It would be so different, mm. right? And it's funny because Rose Byrne, I think, is someone that we associate a lot more. I mean, Reese Witherspoon has totally played these roles, like um, in that movie where she's a 
the high school student, the overachieving high school student, which I, the name of which is escaping me. Um, but Rose Byrne, we associate a lot more in like super neurotic roles. Yeah. Kind of like nagging, unlikable women who then are like redeemed later, right? Reese Witherspoon is like warm from the top in, in this movie, even if she obviously has responsibilities and demands. I've also been watching Big Little Lies at the moment. And ah. so I've had a real moment of just being like, as I'm sure the world is, of being like, wow, Reese Witherspoon is such a great actress like such a great actress she bring she can bring so much comedy to her performance in big little lies just in very subtle ways and yeah i I really liked her in in home again as well i think her charisma just really really carries the film Mm, yeah i mean people have been asking us to watch big little lies for ages and we haven't so well done for finally getting on it i have not done that yet I've got one episode left, so mm. don't spoil me, seriously, listeners. But maybe maybe we can do it in the recommend section at some point, because mm. it is amazing. Sometimes I wonder if I'm ever going to make it home again. It's so far and out of sight. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now we're going to talk about Our Souls at Night, which is a Netflix original film starring Jane Fonda and Robert Redford. It's an adaptation of the 2015 Kent Harriff novel of the same name, and it's set in the fictional town of Holt, Colorado, in the western US. Fonda plays Addie, a widow living next door to Louie, a widower played by Redford. At Addie's suggestion, the two begin to sleep in the same bed at night as a way of combating their feelings of loneliness and isolation. Their relationship becomes more complicated as they spend more nights talking and they become entangled in each other's families. The film is directed by Ritesh Batra, who made The Lunchbox and the recent adaptation of Julian Barnes' novella The Sense of an Ending. Hello, Lewis. Hello. Miss Moore. Addie. Is everything all right? 
Can I talk to you about something? Sure. We've both been on our own for years. I'm lonely, and I'm guessing you might be too. How long have we known each other? How long have we been neighbors? We don't really know each other. How about we get to know each other? I don't want anybody to think anything bad. You know how it is, people talk. <laughs> it's not about sex. It's about getting through the night. I think I could sleep again if, if there was somebody next to me, you know, someone nice. I like how you said our souls there. You pronounced it very precisely uh, in case of any confusion. Yeah, well, this is because there was a piece in The Telegraph, which my boyfriend sent to me when after we'd watched this film, basically saying that when this film premiered, I think it can... Apparently all the British film critics were just in hysterics the whole time because of if you say the film title quickly, it sounds like assholes at night. Yeah. Um, which um, after you've heard it, you can't really unhear. But if you say our like that, that's a great way around it. That's a, our souls at night. Well, that's probably how I'd say it anyway. But also I think that's probably how Americans would say it. I don't know. Yeah. But um. Uh, this Telegraph piece is hilariously po-faced because the writer like put this title problem to someone at Netflix and Netflix's response was just like, we have no plans to change the title. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's pretty much what it says on the tin though, isn't it? It's a, it's a film that really revolves around these conversations between the two leads in their bedroom or in Jane Fonda's bedroom at night. And that's how we get to know them. Yeah, we get to know them as they're getting to know each other. And it's a very gentle, slow film. It's also very reliant, I feel, on the chemistry between the two leads. Totally. Fonda and Redford, which I'd say ignorant film goer as I am, I had to look this up. But this is far from the first time that they have played romantic leads in no. films together. Mm. Apparently this year is the 50th anniversary of their first appearance together. And they've basically just been friends ever since. Yeah, I also have read lots of stories about, you know, Jane Fonda being totally in love with Robert Redford in real life and him not having any clue that she was and that kind of thing. They've clearly got a long-standing chemistry which is why that they work so well in these roles mm. and yeah I think without that this film would just be really really boring as it is I found it a really enjoyable watch in a quiet sort of slow burning way it reminded me a lot of how I felt about that Charlotte Rampling film 45 years although this doesn't have quite mm. the same note of tragedy about it in that you're looking at you know, older people sort of exploring feelings very carefully and under the surface a lot of the time. Although one quite refreshing thing is that Jane Fonda's character, Addie, is a little bit outspoken and she is willing to just say stuff that maybe Louis feels that she shouldn't says. So she's the one who goes around his house and is like, basically, would you like to come and sleep in my bed because I'm really lonely? Yeah. You know, she she makes that explicit early on. I have to say, I don't know much about Ritesh Batra's work, but it's a really beautiful film. Like there are some great sort of shots of Colorado and beautiful old houses at dusk and mm. things like that. I think for me, there's something about, and I get this a lot with like Netflix movies. I got it with To the Bone and some other things. It 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 feels televisual to me in a way. And I don't have the language as a critic to kind of pinpoint what that is whether it's something to do with literally the way in which it's shot technically or whether it's more to do with the fact of my experience on the receiving end watching it on a streaming service on a laptop in my bed but there's a quality of the televisual to it I think I don't lots of interiors and 
There's no B-plot to this movie, really, is there? I mean, Mm -mm. you could argue that Addie's son, whose wife is in the process of leaving him, we think, that that's kind of... that is It's extra context, but I wouldn't call it like a B-plot necessarily, and it allows for the grandchild to move in with them and all of these developments that come later in the movie that kind of push their relationship up a level. But, yeah, I don't know. There's something about it that feels quite TV-ish to me. Also... I enjoyed this movie, but as you say, it is very slow and I found myself kind of like drifting off in parts and there's no real kind of threat like there is in 45 years. 45 years is basically like a thriller, (laughs) even though Mm. there's like no actual like violence or danger in it. It's kind of like a thriller in like, oh my God, what's she going to find out? What's she going to find out? And that keeps you on the edge of your seat and pulls you along with it, even as it does move slowly. For me, there was never felt like there was a plot twist coming in this movie. It never felt like there was any kind of high stakes element to it. So for that reason, I kind of kept drifting off a little bit. I don't know. I got very anxious about three quarters of the way through and very on edge about the fact that they might not stay together. Mm, I don't want to, you know, spoilers for anyone who's going to watch it, but Mm. I got worried that particularly Louis reticence was just gonna he was just gonna allow it to fizzle out even though obviously it was the only good thing in his life Mm. that kept me going until the end of the film I was like no 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 don't don't let her go that kind of thing totally but I know I react disproportionately to that kind of thing because (laughs) I've just been watching the first series of Fargo the one with Martin Freeman Mm -hmm. and I would like to talk about this in greater detail at some point if you ever watch it but let's just say that there is a big proper thriller murder action plot in Fargo I mean I've seen the first few episodes of Fargo and it is like pretty horrific (laughs) that's what you're supposed to derive the tension from right except I spent the entire time worried about two characters who might be forming a relationship and whether they were going to get together (laughs) so after every episode my boyfriend would be like so what do you think of like this cool action sequence that happened I'd be like Molly and Gus did not talk to each other in this episode and I don't know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. So yeah, I I find tension in unresolved relationships quite easily, let's say. Totally. I have to shout out to Ian Armitage, the child who plays Jamie in this movie. Oh, he's adorable. He is and he's incredible. He's the lead child in Big Little Lies. Ah. And he's also just started as the lead in Young Sheldon, the Big Bang Theory spin-off. What? I did not even know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. It's a massive thing. So he's probably like one of the most famous like kids in the world right now. And he's also going to be in The Glass Castle, which is Brie Larson's next movie, which ah. is, you know, I think it's done with the director of Short Term 12. So it's, mm. and Brie, lots of Brie Larson films, you know, have these these amazing child leads in. So I'm sure he's going to be wonderful in that as well. But just like the rise and rise of bloody nine-year-old actor Ian Armitage at the moment. And he is excellent in this. Yeah, I really enjoyed his scenes particularly his scenes with Robert Redford Mm. even as I was watching them I can imagine how you know fingers crossed Ian Armitage grows up to be a great adult actor as well and doesn't have any former child star issues and I can imagine in 30 years time he'll be giving an interview and he'll be like yeah it was when Robert Redford was playing with trains with me on the set of Our Souls at Night that Mm. I was like 
I want to be like you, Robert Redford. I want to be a great actor. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Jamie's performance in this is so good as like the world's most perfect child. <laughs> yeah. He never has, you know, he's like got quite a difficult home life, this kid, but never once do we see him like shout or scream or like re- like become uncontrollable or like say something really, really mean and cutting to his grandparents or his, you know, it's like, it's part feeds into the idea I have of this film of there being like, being slightly unrealistically good even the bad Mm. things that happen don't seem to have very terrible consequences and there are you do get a much stronger sense of terrible traumas that have happened in previous decades of both these characters life and it's more i guess maybe now they're in their twilight years it's more about reflecting on some of those things rather than there being kind of like high Mm. stakes developments in their personal lives and that stuff was some of the best stuff i thought there's a scene where Addie quite powerfully talks about her daughter's death but yeah (laughs) I did I did like that Jamie like just never ever (laughs) even said a mean word to anyone I am interested now actually to go and look at the novel that it's based on Mm -hmm. because I was just reading a little bit about it Kent Tariff who wrote it he set all of his novels in this same fictional town in Colorado even though they're about totally different things which I find quite interesting as a concept so yeah I think I might go and look that up and see what the comparison between the source material and the film is that's very interesting i want a sunday kind of love a love to last past saturday night and i'd like to know it's more than love at first sight So last week, I recommended that Anna listen to the Dissect podcast, specifically the second series thereof, which focuses on the Kanye West album, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Dissect is a long form musical analysis podcast hosted by an American guy called Cole Kushner. How did you find it, Anna? Yeah, it's obviously amazing. It's a really great piece of work. And I actually just wish in general more stuff like this existed. So as you say, it's a song-by-song look at this album and each episode is a good 45 minutes long, I'd say. And so it really gets into the detail of the song in a sort of song exploder way. He'll like pick out little parts of the track in isolation and allow you to listen to them and then discuss how that is reflecting the themes of the song more generally and it's not in any way topical i mean kanye west is always in the media because he is who he is but there's not it's not like there's a big anniversary going on of my beautiful dark twisted fantasy at the moment or anything like that i feel like we live in a time where culture writing is always has to be topical and fast and there's not that actually that many spaces that just allow you to be like, I really think that this song is really interesting and says a lot and I want to like really pick all of that apart. So for me, it's amazing to see something like Dissect happening. It's clearly just Cole Kushner's gone out and done this on his on his own accord and I'm really glad that he has. Yeah, it's not even his full-time job at all. He does it on his own in his garage, I think. <laughs> he has a Patreon page which... If people like the podcast, they can check out and maybe support him because he doesn't even have ads. He does it all 
kind of funds it himself and stuff. And yeah, it's just such a high standard of everything, I think, from standard of his analysis right down to the standard of his production of the podcast mm, the production itself. is amazing i, I, I is mm. his full-time job something to do with audio normally because no he, he were I, I went and basically linkedin stalked him because i wanted <laughs> yeah. to know this and he works as a in marketing for a like coffee oh, company right. okay well it's yeah it sounds amazing and it, in that same way that song exploder not to make too many comparisons between them but in the same way that song exploder um just sounds so good and really allows you to actually listen to the song like with your ears in a new way it does that mm. i've been really enjoying recommending this podcast to people actually i wrote a column in the new statesman a couple of weeks ago about it and when it went online several people obviously read it then went and listened to it and then sent me enraptured tweet threads about how it made them feel and how brilliant it was and oh, stuff so, so i think when you when you fall for it you fall really hard yeah i'm gonna pl can i play devil's advocate because i obviously loved this podcast mm. and i don't want to criticize it because there's not loads to criticize but you know when um ryan adams covered taylor swift and everyone was like wow you really can see how good these songs are and it made yeah. me annoyed, not because Ryan Adams did anything wrong, but because I was like, these songs were always so good. Where were you? Um, <laughs> that's sometimes how I felt about this podcast, because for me, they just emphasize how incredible and how layered and how dense, like even even if you don't like these songs, maybe incredible is the wrong word, like, but just how, how dense and how rich they are as kind of like texts and how much is going on in them all the time, because I get to the end of one of these 45 minute episodes that are really picking apart, for example, all the different samples that Kanye's using or all the different wordplay that's going on or all the different visual images that go along in the song that, that go in the video that goes along with the song. Um, and I'm like, yeah, we could do that at double the length. There's still more to say here. There's still more that hasn't been explored. Um, and that's a real, yeah, it's, it's amazing to see a piece of work really showing the extent to which Kanye's songs can be explored in that way. Mm. I know what you mean, though, that it is slightly frustrating that it requires something like this to bring that to the surface when, for lots and lots of reasons, his music maybe gets a bit dismissed at its point of release. Mm -hmm, totally. Because of his, you know, his complicated personal life or his his own behavior or even his race and his appearance mm -hmm. people a bit like oh well you know he's just a rapper or whatever whereas actually he's much much more than that yeah and there are moments where you're like oh is it is it a coincidence that like you know a non-black like smart sounding guy can like bring make make this seem like more literary in a way obviously that's not really that's not Cole Kushner's fault it's just an interesting problem that comes with talking about Kanye West and he does go into that and he does look at that as well I love analysis like this it's some of my favorite thing to read and and listen to when it's in audio form there are some of like my pet hates in in some of this analysis like I hate it when people say like the real story when that or like yeah. the, the real <laughs> meaning of this song and I'm like oh my god there are so many like different meanings potentially and that you could get something completely different out of this like one of the ones that i listened to so i listened to um through the wire just because like it's through the wire i really wanted to hear what he had to say on it because like that's such an iconic kanye it's obviously kanye's first ever single power and all of the lights and 
like I think there was a moment in all of the lights where he said like oh the fictional narrative that Kanye's created here about like a guy who hit his wife and went to prison and came out is it's actually about Taylor Swift at the VMAs and I was like well not everything is about Taylor Swift at the VMAs on mm. this record obviously yeah. that like there is a there is a theme of that but there's there's uh, there's so much other stuff going on too and and to Cole Kushner's credit he does obviously look at those things too but yeah again it just emphasizes how much there is to explore in this in this album and also all of Kanye, the, the like four before this album as well but i'm really excited for more episodes to come out i can't wait for runaway that's got to be coming up next i imagine yeah i think that's the next one i love it when you find a podcast you burn through all the episodes and then you become effectively the host's stalker <laughs> because you check their twitter like every three hours to see if they've done a new one runaway yet. is just gonna be I imagine it's going to be very long because with the kind of short film that goes with it and everything, like there's just so much to discuss there. So I'm really excited for that. So yeah, I think we would definitely recommend this podcast to music fans of all kinds. Even if you don't think that you like Kanye West, you should. Listen I think to this especially podcast. if you don't like Kanye West, because yeah. I think all of the things that I saw as flaws in this podcast are probably actually to do with the fact that it's aimed at people who could have never listened to Kanye West. Yeah. Which is a great thing that it can make that his, his music so accessible. Like the first episode goes into like the concept of sampling and explains at length what sampling is and says, you know, explains like a tribe called quest sampling walk on the wild side or whatever, which if you if you listen to any hip hop ever, you probably already know that <laughs> and you don't need him to go into that. But it's great that you can create something that is in essentially like a microscopic look at Kanye West music and make it so accessible to someone who maybe just thinks he's like a jackass because Obama said so. Yeah. So that's a that's probably a real strength of the podcast. There's been so much analysis of Kanye West over his career and there are so many writers who write about him so well. One thing that I thought people might really be interested in if they enjoyed this podcast is last month Vox released a video called Kanye Deconstructed, The Human Voice as the Ultimate Instrument. And it's like a 10 minute, if that, um, film about how he um, uses the voice instead of instruments or how he just like uses the, the human voice as a, in a way that other hip hop producers maybe hadn't before. And that's a that's an, a really good look at his stuff. There's also a podcast called Watching the Throne, and it's kind of like just a lyrical analysis of all his stuff. And I've only listened to a bit of that, so I can't speak as much to how good it is. But it's, it seems like the obvious next place to go if you've got a dissect hole in your life. So what are we going to look at next week, Caroline? I can't thank you enough for this recommendation because I am obsessed now. So I just want more, 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 more. Okay, well, I thought we might try a book for next week. Bit ambitious to do a book in a week, but I think you can do it. I read this book in about four hours on a Sunday afternoon, so it's definitely very digestible. And it is called Not Working by Lisa Owens. I think it's her first novel, and it's the story of a woman called Claire who quits her job and then freaks out, essentially. Okay. <laughs> We'll tweet out the cover because I feel like the cover gives you quite a good sense of how this, not of the book, but how the book has been positioned by the publisher because it has a blue background and it's got a picture of a yellow coffee cup on it. And on the coffee cup is an illustration of a woman like lying on the floor with a laptop and above her it says to do, quit job, tick, find purpose crossed out and then panic <laughs> underlined. Yeah. Um, and that's 
kind of the structure of the book oh, if that makes sense so i don't want to say much more because i don't want to ruin it okay. for you, but well that sounds really interesting I, I wonder if did did any of this particularly relate to you at your current moment not that you're not working you're working very hard but the way that you work has changed well i thought it would that's actually why i picked it up in the shop i picked it up because i it was when we, you know, when we reviewed the Cormoran Strike adaptation, I, I went to Waterstones to buy a copy of The Cuckoo's Calling so I could read it. And there was a buy one, get one free offer or something. And I picked this up off the table for precisely that reason. Because I was like, ah, oh, I just quit my job. I panic mm-hmm. sometimes. I'll have mm-hmm. this. But actually, that's what I mean about the way the publishers positioned it versus what it's actually about. Okay. Because I didn't actually really identify with it at all, if that makes okay. sense. Okay, well, that's made me super curious and I can't wait to read Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, where you could leave us a rating and a review if you fancy. It makes us happy and it also helps other people find the show. If you'd like to come see us in person, and who wouldn't, check out the events page of our website, seriouslypod.com events. Details of our next pop culture quiz and anything else we're doing will appear on there. We're also available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. Follow us to keep up with what we're up to or to chat to other listeners about things you've enjoyed on the show. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 